Welcome to the Sustainable Investor Podcast, where we will discuss topics of interest within the realm of personal finance and sustainability. I'm your host, Frank Beiskov, and I'm excited to share a variety of ideas across the intersection of personal values and personal finance. The show is intended to be educational and inspiring in nature, and should not be construed as personalized investment, legal, or tax advice. Advisory services are offered through 44 Financial, a member of Advisory Services Network, LLC. Now, let's get started and dive into today's episode. When it comes to sustainable investing, it is sometimes hard to quantify the various data points that aggregate into determining a potential investment lineup and see what impact they have on the business. One that makes more intuitive sense, at least in my opinion, is employee wellness and retention. Human capital is probably the most valuable resource in most companies, and it is very expensive to find and train the right people. Most of us have at some point had a job where we didn't feel like it was a good fit for various reasons, and our performance reflected that. On the other hand, If you have a job you care about and where you feel well-treated, you put more effort into it. All of this can show up more or less directly on the bottom line of the company. With a tight job market, attracting and retaining the right talent is paramount to long-term success and needed in building a solid and profitable business. Today, I'm joined by an expert in the field, Dawn Schuler from the Schuler Group. I first met Dawn right at the beginning of the pandemic through a new online networking group, and I have always been impressed by her composure and the insights she has shared, something that has greatly influenced my viewers and curiosity when it comes to this interesting topic. Welcome to the podcast, Dawn. Thank you, Frank, for having me. I'm so honored to be on your podcast. I, I think this will be an interesting conversation. Um and one of the things I'm just going to start with, a thing I've heard you say often is you should find rock stars, not rocks. And I just find it's both funny and like very to the point. Um, but what, what do you, what lies in, in that um, terminology? So the rock star, well, let me back up. I think of it, people, employees, and this this applies to every situation, not just the workplace if you think of them in A, B, and C categories. So the A employee is the one who is jazzed to be there, comes to you know you as the manager, the leader with ideas. Hey, I, I did this. I see this needs to be done. Should I take initiative and, and, and do this? They, they, they do. They take initiative. They're passionate. They're positive. They truly bring something to to the organization. Those are your rock stars. Then you have your B players and they're competent, but they don't necessarily take that initiative. And they will happily do what you tell them to do, but you have to go to them and say, do this, do that. Uh, They will be in their lane and they will stay in their lane. So they're sort of that sort of neutral. Then you have your C players, and these are your rocks, where, you know, good Lord, you can't find them to get something done. They they will complain. They will take 
three times as long to get something done and and make it sound like they are put upon to get it done. Those are your rocks. So when I say build your team with rock stars, not rocks, you're really looking at those A players, those ones who truly bring something to the organization and are a delight to be around. That's a great way to put it. I think all based on personal experience, I know both uh, all across the spectrum. Um, now, what, what what's your ideal client? And what, what are some of the issues they are facing? So our ideal client are organizations of 50 to 200 or so employees. And the issues they face are issues that most organizations, regardless of size, face. Things like concern with the bottom line. Every organization, even nonprofits, they want to be profitable. They they want to bring in more money than is going out. And they would like to see that that getting bigger. Again, even with nonprofits, because then they can invest it more into whatever their purpose is of the nonprofit. So every organization is concerned with, am I profitable? How can I be more profitable? Next, how can I keep my best employees? There's a problem with you know employee retention. We've been talking about the great resignation for months. And, and you know, big companies are laying off employees. So there's this, this interesting thing going on in the world right now where employees and the best employees is a true concern. It probably always has been, but now it's really in the forefront and it's more mainstream and in the media. And then of course there is, how do we get, how do we reduce our expenses? Again, going back to that bottom line. So those are the organization, those are the issues that every organization faces. And we primarily come in at the Schuler Group with a concentration and a focus on the the people. Do you have the right people in the right seats doing the right things at their top performance? Right. And it is crazy expensive to find and train new people. So like if you can do whatever it takes to keep your uh your, your people, at least the good ones, um that, that translates directly in my view, like to to the bottom line. Um giving you more resources to do everything else because there's only so much time, money, and energy to go around. Um, exactly. So what uh, what are some of the aspects of job environment or benefits or something else that a company uh, should offer to succeed in this competition for talent, both retaining and attracting? So that's a really good question, and it's something that that we deal with with our clients and our clients struggle with a little bit. There's been a lot of research, especially recently, about what do millennials and Gen Zers want? You know, is it that they want more money? Is it that they want better benefits? What are the top drivers to the the best jobs that that they're going after? Salary and benefits isn't necessarily at the top, although benefits, and it doesn't have to mean the traditional, you know, healthcare, medical benefits, but benefits that allow them to, to take care of themselves. Right now, there is a more of a focus on 
self-care and wellness and holistic living, that it's this work-life balance in a way that there hasn't been before. So if you could have benefits that that help with that, because again, it's not just the numbers, I want a higher salary, I want health benefits, but it's my work-life balance is really important and my personal life is just as important, if not more so, than my work life. So is this organization offering me the benefits? So there can be some very creative ways to do that. You know, for example, if if you're hybrid or you have an in, in-person office, can you offer some sort of travel benefit, $25, you know, gift card for gas every month or free parking if, if there's a commercial parking lot, whatever it might be, those things, those are everyday things that actually can mean a lot to an employee. So I hope that answered your question because I, I there, there's so much to talk about just with regard to you the benefits and what the employer can set up to truly make the employee feel as if they're cared for and that they matter. Right. No, I think that that's, that's a great point. And I don't think that's necessarily one size fits all because um, you also attract a certain person that hopefully is aligned with your mission. Um, one, one thing I've seen like a lot of companies do is like you get a day off of volunteering or, something else, especially if you're in a mission-driven organization um, where you attract the people that care about the mission. And this is a way to do even more so like while respecting their personal choice uh, and the freedom and respecting them as individuals. Uh, so I think that that's another interesting way to, to do it. Um, now, the, the, the quiet quitting as it's a pretty new term like you know people like some people have worked for a company for several years and never met the boss in person so okay. like they kind of quit or they just kind of disappear because <laughs> uh, without a desk being empty also uh, what's your take on the quiet quitting and what's a way to flush out the issues before they are enough for someone to find some, uh, another venture to pursue so what's so honestly amusing about that term quiet quitting is it's this very pretty term right it's this you know you've got the alliteration quiet quitting and it just seems like it's this whole new thing quiet quitting has been around for a very long time it's just now we have this cute little label for it and what it is is when you have disengaged employees. Gallup has been doing research for over three decades on engaged employees, not engaged employees, and actively disengaged employees. And this also kind of goes to the A, B, and C player, the rock stars and the rocks. Their research consistently shows that there's only about a third of employees in organizations who are actively engaged those are the rock stars, right? Those are the ones who, you know, they care. They, they, there's an alignment with the mission, vision, and purpose of the organization. They, they take great pride in their work. They've got this sense of responsibility. They're two and a half times more likely to work overtime or to help another team member with, with their work. It's only a third, right? And then you have those who are 
not engaged. They're not necessarily actively disengaged, but it's that be player. It's just, eh, I've got a job, right? They'll do it and they, they may do it competently, but they're really there to get the paycheck. And then you've got those actively disengaged who they, they're negative. They don't have anything good to say about the, you know, the organization. They may even be toxic to the organization. Um, and, and that's those B and C players are part of that whole quiet quitting. They're, they're not engaged. They're, you know, they're, they're on the lookout for the next best thing. The grass is greener and maybe there truly is not a fit. They're not the right people or they're not in the right seat, whatever. But this is not new. This, this, this whole quiet quitting, it's a new label, but it's not a new phenomenon. Yeah, well, that's, it, it is a pretty label. Got to, got to give it that. But uh, no, I, I think um, it's a good point, Like. Even rock stars quit because they are amazing and they find new opportunities. But usually they give like a heads up or they're willing to not like work more on the handoff. I've seen a couple recently from um, some of the groups I work with where like one of their main players leaves and, but they will do whatever to help find the replacement and do something else because they are that rock star. Uh, And I think, you, you can't help like they just get an amazing opportunity they have to pursue and you're happy for them um now you offer a company climate inventory and uh that tries to address some of these potential issues uh can you go into more more detail on that absolutely i the company climate inventory is 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 our baby. It's our our proprietary diagnostic tool that we've been using since 2014. And and what it does is it assesses the overall health of the organization. So it's a survey that everyone in the organization takes anonymously. And it covers things like job satisfaction, job engagement, but also the perception of leadership and the alignment of the organization with the values of and ethics of the of the organization communication does it work does it not uh collaboration cross-departmental uh teamwork uh, all sorts of things and so then in our analysis we deliver a report that talks about the strengths of the organization its challenges and our recommended areas of focus in priority order and and it's just it's fascinating work, at least for us. I mean, I would never think of myself as a data nerd, but I love digging into the data because it tells stories and you can really see what's going on in the organization. Uh, leaders think they know what's going on because you know, it's their organization. They know it. But it's those foot soldiers that are on the ground doing the work that really can tell you, oh, yeah. Yeah, here's what's really going on. This is what leadership thinks, but here's what's really going on. And that's one of the big benefits that the company climate inventory brings to an organization. Now, um, I would take it that would require a pretty confident leader to embark on this journey because fingers may be pointed <laughs> at, at them. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's a really good point because to me, 
if you go to the doctor every year to get an annual physical, why wouldn't you do that for your organization? Hey, let's do a checkup. How, how are things? What, you know, what are the potential issues? But one of the, again, another benefit is we also say, here are the strengths of the organization. Here's what you got going well for you. Here's what you want to double down on. Um, so I always try to say, it's not just let's uncover all the problems and all the dirty little secrets. It's let's look at what's working well so we can maximize that. That being said, you're really right about that it takes a leader who is willing to change, is willing to adapt, understands that they don't have all the answers, that they they might have to take some risks and, oh my gosh, potentially be wrong or make a mistake sometimes. Um, and with some of my colleagues, especially um, one in particular who has done a lot of research in this area, he says 92% of CEOs, leaders, presidents, owners of organizations are in that category of they're afraid to take risks, they're afraid to be wrong, they're afraid of, of what that will look like. And so it's really 8% of those leaders who say, you know what, if this organization is going to thrive, not just survive, but thrive, we have to change, we have to adapt. Yeah, no, I, I listened to that. Uh, so like you have your own podcast, When People Thrive, Companies Thrive. And that, that's a really interesting uh, discussion. Um, now, some of those personality traits you mentioned tend to lean more female instead of the typical alpha male. Is that correct? Or is that just me being ignorant? <laughs> no, I mean, I, so you're right. And, you know, I really hesitate. And maybe it's because I have two daughters who you know, are 23 and 26. And especially the 23 year old just hammers into my head about, you know, you can't be you know, put things into these binary groups, you know, it's male, it's female. So I've kind of been, you know, lectured at for a few years about don't just put it into these categories. That being said, there, there are some trends right there. There's a reason why we have stereotypes. And it's because in general, there is a, a, a match to that stereotype. What I'd like to believe is that the world and this is probably part of what you do in your work is that the world is moving to kind of that kinder, gentler place where I hope we so. are valuing more of those traditionally feminine qualities of collaboration. You know, there's a reason why a lot of feminine symbols are circles, right? It's, it's let's encircle, let's, um, you know, let's, let's kind of protect, whereas the males tend to be very penetrating because it's sharp, it's aggressive. Um, but I'd like to think that there's there's this movement in the world, not just in the workforce, but just in the world in general to to honor all of that. And, you know, I'm I'm a woman, but I have traditionally male qualities. You know, my husband is a male, but he has some traditional female qualities. Everybody does. It's what gets squashed as we're in our formative years. You know, men are told, don't cry, don't be a sissy. You know, women are told, don't be too aggressive. And we put all sorts of labels on, on some of these traits. 
depending on how they turn up. Sorry, I can I can talk all day about some of this <laughs> stuff. I will I will try to bring it back around to to your question. Are some of these traits that that we're talking about are they traditionally more feminine? Maybe, and and maybe it's because those more male qualities, if if they're just looked at in that box, and there's not the the melding, the folding in like a recipe of those more feminine qualities, I I think we all suffer, and so um, you know, do we need all the you know? all the old fogies to, you know, kind of go on their way and then let the the new generation, you know, come in and, and take things over? Perhaps. Yeah, no, I, I think from my point of view, I, I'm looking for balance. Um, I, I think you get the better, as part of like the data I analyze, um, it was like, it's the balance in the leadership. Like, do you have like different backgrounds? Do you have different genders or ethnicities or like um, different age groups represented because I, I do think you get like different views different opinions and your risks tend to be better mitigated it's not like you, you don't take risks and sometimes they go wrong but like there tends to be more mitigation because you've thought about it from more angles um, and if you look at a workforce even for like a mid-sized company not everyone will jive with any particular superior. Sometimes, like you have to have different roles, like some look more for um, like one aspect in leader, some love to kind of like have a strong direction and some like to have a little, like a softer path, but they both accomplish the same thing going about a different way. So I think balance, as you said, like both within the person and as well as within the the leadership, I think that is the value creator. And what you're talking to, Frank, is emotional intelligence. Like you just mentioned, you can have two different people on your team and the way that that they want to be managed or the way even that they want feedback can be very different. As a manager, you're going to be more successful if you understand that these two people are different and you treat them differently. It's the platinum rule versus the golden rule. The golden rule is treat everybody the way you would like to be treated. Well, the platinum rule is treat everybody the way they would like to be treated because not everybody is like you. Not everybody is the same. And so emotional intelligence is, first of all, being self-aware then being able to manage yourself, so self-management, and then social awareness, being being aware of other people, and then what's called social management, which is, again, adjusting your behavior to the differences of others. That's what emotional intelligence is. It's understanding others and that they are different from yourselves and then acting accordingly. That right there, if if... If a leader or even just a human person worked on those skills, I I think that there would be huge strides in communication, um, lessened miscommunication and all those issues and you know, all of that. But emotional intelligence is that ability to say, hey, these two people are different. I need to treat them differently as such. 
Yeah, no, I, just look at my own experience. I've had a variety of uh, leaders, good, not, not really any like really bad, but like some mediocre. Some were subject matter experts. They were amazing about the dead and they were kind of like getting that leadership role. But one of the best guys I had had no idea what I did, but he was great at managing people. Uh, he, he picked it up along the way. He was a smart guy, but like he didn't know, like, uh, like he couldn't do it himself, but he was great at getting the feedback and managing people. Uh, I think, uh, as you just said, he, he was a people person um, mm -hmm. and, and could navigate that. And, um, uh, that, that was a great experience because that was one of the first um, non-technical leaders I, I had. Um, and just, it's a different skill set. Um, but if you hire the right people that can do the work and you just manage them, I think that that's a great way to, uh, to build value, um, over time for the, for the company you work for. Absolutely. And I, I just want to say something to that about that whole managing is, um, what we see, and it's probably been a problem, you know, very few problems are brand new problems. Some of them may have been brought to light because of the pandemic and all the stuff going on globally over the last couple of years, but very few of the problems we see are brand new. But one thing that we're seeing is that managers, people are being promoted to manager sometimes for the wrong reason. You see this in sales and technology a lot. You know, oh, this person's a great salesperson, let's promote them to manager so they'll manage other salespeople. Well, those are two very different skill sets. The fact that, you know, you know, she can sell really well and close deals does not then translate equivocally that she can also manage other salespeople. Same thing with tech people. Oh, they're a great engineer and we need to move them up the ladder. Okay, so let's make them a manager of other engineers. Not always, those skill sets don't always translate. And so, that's where the right people in the right seat comes in. The right person is the one who aligns with the mission and values of the organization is an alignment it, that they're the right person. The right seat means do their roles and responsibilities fit what they're, they're good at and what they're meant to do. So sometimes you can have the right person in the wrong seat. And sometimes you can have the person who's in the right seat, but they're not right for the company. Um, so I just wanted to say that, that sometimes organizations need to, they promote these managers. Sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it's not, but do they give the manager training? So we're seeing a lot of companies asking for manager training for these new young leaders that they've put in these positions and have no foundation of, um, of, of skills necessarily to support them in this new role. Yeah, no, I know my sister has been involved in that like mid-level manager uh, for a long period of time. And um, it tends to be the executive management. They have a lot of coaches and resources, um, but they don't deal with people. They deal with management, you not know, like top level. And then the mid-level managers are the ones that are promoted. They don't get the resources or the training. But they're the ones that are in the fire. They have to relate messages from the top that sometimes you have a consultant that comes up with some crazy new ideas. 
Um, so we lay those messages down without having the, the tools to do so. And I think that is where there's a bit big disconnect and hope, uh, uh, as you say, like uh, applying those resources um, to, to that level mm -hmm. is what the boots and the ground workers, that's, that's who they interact with and who they, uh, what, what makes yeah. them appre feel appreciated as well. Exactly. Exactly. All this stuff. And then they got to get their, their jobs done too. It's, and, and so it's not a, an insurmountable issue or, or whatever we want to say is it leading people because we're all people, we're all humans. Um, leading people is not a small thing. Managing people is not a small thing. And we can get so caught up in the day to day. This has to be done. And this report's due on Friday. And there's this board meeting on Wednesday night and, and all of this. And, and at the same time, we're supposed to you know be emotionally intelligent and think about what, how the other person is wired and how we might need to adjust our communication. I, it, it, I don't mean to make it sound like, oh, you just have to learn this and then, dude, you're good. It's, it's, it's part of our evolution in this particular plane of existence, I believe, is that humans were meant to progress and be the best that we can be. And, uh, it's a lifelong journey. Yeah, no, I think one of the keys is to keep the people that are amazing, they're rock stars, but they're not management material, and how to keep them happy and feel they're not being overlooked. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm glad I don't have to make make those <laughs> decisions <laughs> at this point, because that that's definitely a tough spot to be in and a tough conversation to have. But I think if you're emotionally intelligent, you can have that conversation and um, and make people feel they're appreciated even though they are not getting the promotion entitled. There are different ways to appreciate people, and but you have to find the one that works well. Because uh, getting promoted to a job you don't want is not a good thing either. Yes, and that, that's something I wanted to speak to because we deal with some organizations, um, especially in the nonprofit world, where they're they're fairly they're fairly flat and horizontal. So there's there's not a whole lot of room to move up the proverbial ladder. And and so that's something that this organization's been struggling with for years, but it's very typical of nonprofits. And so one of the things that we've recommended to them is there are other ways for people to to progress in their career and professional development that doesn't look like that hierarchical vertical moving up the ladder, management, vice president, whatever. And so sometimes that requires some thinking outside the box and having conversations. Some people don't want to be a manager. They don't want to be vice president, but they still want to feel like they're progressing in their career. What does that look like for them? And it comes down to having conversations. Like actually talking to the person, what a concept! Oh, that, that's a tough one. That, that, that's definitely new, and I guess never been around. Uh, well, I think that talk to your talk to your people. That, that's a pretty pretty good way to do this. Uh, well, thank you so much, Don. Uh, this has been amazing. Uh, where can the listeners find out more information about you? Thank you. Um, you can find us on the web at the Schuler Group, LLC.com. And Schuler is spelled S-H-U-L-E-R. 
So theshulergroupllc.com. Perfect. I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Dawn. And um, I can't wait for next time we our, our paths cross because you always bring like tremendous insights. So thank you so much for that. Well, and thank you again for having me on your podcast, Frank. This has been a, a blast. I've had a lot of fun. So <laughs> me too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Sustainable Investor Podcast. If you'd like more information or have questions or comments, my contact information is in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe and share it with two other people that may be interested in the topic as well. Until next time, go make a difference in your world. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized tax, investment, legal, or other professional advice. Before taking any actions, you should always seek the assistance of a qualified professional. The information contained in this podcast is derived from sources deemed to be reliable, but cannot be guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the presenter and do not reflect the views or opinions held by Advisory Services Network, LLC.